You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members for members. In Season 5, members discuss behavior with Alexis Hennessy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Season 5's OEA Grow podcast. We are talking about behavior this season, and I am so excited to have Mary Michael join me today on the podcast. Um, Mary, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? I would be happy to. Hi, everyone. I'm Mary Michael. I am thrilled to be joining you from Salem, Oregon. I have been in education for over 30 years. I started my um, work in middle school and have taught every grade level from kindergarten through ninth grade. Um, I've also been a behavior specialist at an elementary school and am currently a mental health and behavior education specialist for the Willamette Education Service District. I also, um, in the last within the last five years, have gotten my trauma-informed um, certification Um, That was through the Center for Cognitive Diversity. Awesome, Mary. We are so happy to have you here today on the podcast. And uh, behavior consultant to behavior specialist, I imagine this conversation could probably last all afternoon. Um, so Mary and I are going to do our best to uh, to keep it short for y'all today and give you some, some glimpses into um, how we support students and educators with behavior and behavioral needs um, and their social emotional well-being in the classroom. But also I think maybe talk a little bit about staff training and development of those skills. So Mary, why don't we start with you know, what, what an average day for you might even look like? Okay. How do you have the most impact um, with with learners within, within the ESD region? So what a typical day looks like to me is um, I get in the office and I start combing through some emails from districts. It could be anywhere from a superintendent to a teacher um, who's asking for support uh, with behaviors. Um, my, um, my I want to say my, my center focus is on um, the 321 Insight platform, which some of you may be familiar with because mm-hmm. I know with the Willamette Education Service District, 21 of our dis- districts have access to that platform and it's yeah. a trauma-informed cl- um, platform. So I could be answering emails. I've also been um, requested to go out to districts and do some um, uh, work with their behavior specialists on um, working with behaviors. Uh, I yeah. don't work directly with students. It's just adults. Yeah, which, you know, is equally as challenging, right? Because adults have self-regulation needs as well, because working sometimes with these youth is is, um, pretty dysregulating, not knowing um, how to best support or what to do next. Sometimes I think our classroom folks and our school-based folks can feel um, a little bit discouraged when they run out of or think they've run out of next steps, right? So um, so difficult to be in these classrooms and, and making those decisions in the moment and also trying to make the decisions that are best for um, long-term outcomes, right? Um, yes. Do you find do you find that you see kind of folks coming back for more and coming back for more as you had a chance to either share resources or give some support through a building-based staff? Do you find that folks, once they know that there are resources out there, kind of come on back for more? 
Absolutely. That um, normally what happens is once the uh, district is introduced to the platform and to or to any trauma informed idea, they are hungry for it. They're like, oh, this yeah. is what we need, and our staff needs this support right now, especially. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, I guess my hope would be to let's let's bring some resources to the folks who are listening today. Um, so let's let's maybe dig in with with one. So if I was going to ask you, um, no, geez, this is the part that I love. I get to ask uh, kind of <laughs> off the cuff questions and and see what your initial reaction is. So, um, what would you say is your favorite? Um, kind of social, emotional, behavioral support approach or tool that you like to share with the folks you're working with? If you if you could only choose one, you had 10 minutes and, and someone said, share some nugget with me, what would you share? Oh, I, my hands down is going to be when, just understanding the brain and how it works and mm-hmm. how um, we, how we learn, how, how humans learn and how the brain has specific functions at sp- specific points in its in its makeup, and that you, uh, I love talking about the reptilian brain, um, the yeah. lizard to, to wizard brain, because we want kids to be in their wizard brain, which is that prefrontal yeah. cortex. And I just love talking about how, and, and putting it very simply, how um, in order for students to learn, they have to be able to access that prefrontal cortex text. And when I mean, even without that. students, I need to be in that prefrontal cortex <laughs> sometimes. My wizard brain is not always accessible, even as an adult or a parent, right? So I get that. Exactly, exactly. And I, I'm thinking of, you just reminded me of, of a story that I, if you don't mind if I share. When I, I love a good story. In, oh, and I'm in a classroom and I have this student who, you know, was pretty, um, pretty physical. And when he got upset, mm. that was his response. And um, I really worked closely with him um, and uh, let him know that the environment was safe. And when I was teaching, he had gone to the back of his uh, the classroom over to his backpack. And one of the students approached me and told me about it. And I was like, it's okay. Just go ahead and do your work. I'm, mm. I'm going to handle this. I walked over with a curious um, being curious in my head going, what's he yeah. doing? And I watched him and he had a deck of cards and he was organizing them by clubs, diamonds, um, oh, hearts. And I went, Oh my gosh, this child's he's regulating. And yeah. so I just walked quietly back to my seat. That student, when he was done, put the cards away, went back to work. And I'm oh reminded that if I had confronted him and I wasn't regulated, yeah. that he would have maybe flown off and then left the classroom and we would have lost some valuable time. But he just needed to For regulate sure. and he actually did a good thing. Well, how awesome that that young learner had a regulation skill that they were able to tap into um, and just activate on their own, right? We always hope that for our learners that they build up a repertoire of um, regulation skills that they can just kind of tap into. I mean, I think we hope that for for adults as well, that we all have a pretty healthy library of uh, regulation skills. But, you know, I'm wondering, Mary, that brings me to ask about then co-regulation in our schools, right? So um, because not all of our learners come to us with these these great libraries of regulation skills like this young learner you shared with us. Um, so I'm wondering if you might be able to kind of define very briefly, um, in case we have a listener who maybe doesn't know what co-regulation is, um, give like a little a little elevator pitch on, on co-regulation. Um, but then also maybe, maybe that's the direction our conversation should go is kind of 
how do we bring co-regulation into the classroom and what kind of impact can co-regulation have both on the adults that are facilitating the learning within the classroom, but also for our learners that show up in front of us, no matter how old they are, right? Because um, right. I mean, co-regulation all the way through our adult colleagues. So absolutely. Uh, why don't you sell us on co-regulation? Tell me, what do you, what do you like to, to explain to others that co-regulation is when you're facilitating uh, in your day-to-day? Co-regulation is how we respond to each other or to the stimulus or anything that's around us. Now, co-regulation in a classroom is going to be um, what, how I describe it is how we regulate with students. If I'm mm-hmm. um, uh, in a state where I'm escalated and I'm, I notice my breathing's fast and I'm kind of shaking and I'm getting frustrated, um, mm-hmm. I'm not able to access, again, my prefrontal cortex to be able to think and go, okay, what's the best solution to this? I might get into that fight, flight, or freeze mode and say, oh, sure. I'm going to go ahead and fight this and, and confront this. Whereas if I'm calm and I'm, I'm uh, my student is going to be calm, if I'm escalated, my student's going to escalate. Whether they're calm or already escalated, they're going to get bigger. So okay. co-regulation is how we respond to the, the people around us and how... Um, how we can, um, and, and to me, I think of it, how we support our students in uh, yeah. managing their own behavior. Yeah, it makes me think often I am in working in my day to day, will tell people if a kid is yelling at you or raising their voice or their tone is getting loud to bring your voice down, right? That we often, you know, this is um, when you're in a very loud room and someone whispers at you, even though there's no need to whisper, you whisper back, right? And so um, sometimes our body just reacts to what's around us without even really knowing the why or the how. So um, I'm wondering then if we should maybe paint a picture of co-regulation and what that can look like. I think everyone... Uh, My guess is that folks often think that co-regulation takes, you know, some extensive amount of time or has to be so very planful where we're kind of stepping aside with the learner for some extensive amount of time. And I'm thinking of a lot of our folks that might be listening who either have a a community college classroom of, you know, 20 to, I imagine, 40-ish or more um, students, young adults. And then, you know, same thing in our kind of kindergarten first or or high school classrooms. We've got anywhere from, you know, 10 to, to 40 learners at any given time. So, um, how, how do we functionally bring co-regulation into our spaces, um, without feeling like we ourselves as the adult leading it are going to become dysregulated for taking the time to, to put this energy into what's going on with our learners. Do you have any um, thoughts or have you coached anyone through kind of bringing this practice into their space? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think taking the, um, the viewpoint that we want to make sure that the the student um, or the participant has agency in what's going on. Mm. Um, and, and I always say, but let's, let's keep in mind that we want everybody to walk away with their dignity. Right. And so thinking about how can we have a conversation that where I'm going to be a listener and as soon as they, that co-regulation, when they come down to where I'm being calm, I can, I can be responsive to them in a way that's tender and then say, Hey, you know what? Let's try this. When Mm. you are starting to feel yourself escalate just give me a thumbs up. That means you're going for a walk or, you know, giving them ideas of way that ways that they can regulate so that they don't um, get and what we call out of control, perhaps, because nobody likes feeling that way. We don't do we, Alexis? 
No, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a learner say to me, wow, that felt really good after being dysregulated for periods of time, right? Uh, I want to do that again, you know, (laughs) but I have, I have had kids come back to me and and say, you know, that exercise we did, um, can you show it to me again? Or, or that breathing we did, can you show it to me again? But you know, it's not always as smooth as that, right? Kids don't always pick up very quickly on the fact that we are showing co-regulation. So I, I also think it's such an interesting, gosh, and see, here's where the the behavior and, and trauma nerd in me is going to come out. But, um, you know, it also just, it's so very interesting to me that, you know, co-regulation is not anything that people should be afraid of, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm just thinking about grounding this for folks in the fact that co-regulation is, I mean, if you're someone who is a parent listening to this or a guardian of anyone listening to this, or you have animals at home, or you've, you know, babysat for anyone before or you've worked with anyone who is either younger or less capable than, than you are at your stage in, in life. Um, co-regulation is, is kind of built into who we are as, as nurturers, right? So I'm thinking back to when my, my own children um, were young and there were two outcomes, right? The, the baby was crying and I was uh, soothing them and trying to fulfill needs or the baby was crying and I was becoming dysregulated as well. Um, So yeah, I'm just wondering if we can maybe put into perspective for our listeners what even falls within that realm of co-regulation? How does that maybe show up outside of the classroom just as humans? Um, and and I'm wondering if that might help our listeners think of ways in which we can bring kind of that co-regulation into our education spaces. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, you bring up a really valid point because co-regulation starts in the womb. I mean, the baby's, mm. you know, want, it's dependent on the mother to survive. Once the baby's yeah. born, and like you said, you, you have a, an infant that's crying and you're trying to soothe them. If you're calm, and it calms them. And if yeah. you're escalated, it escalates you. Or it es- yeah, that one didn't work baby. out well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no kidding. But let's keep in mind that some of the students that we're seeing that come into our classroom get no responses. They just yeah. cry and cry and cry until they're cried out. And so or have an adult who's so dysregulated from their own, you know, traumatic experiences or whatever's yes. going on in their environment that they're by no fault of their own, unable to provide that co-regulation in that moment. Right. Absolutely. And the comment um, that I, I hear oftentimes is um, the kids come into the classroom is they should just know, they know they're supposed mm. to be like this. And it's like, well, actually they haven't been taught that skill. If they've been taught, hey, if I have an unmet need, if I have an unmet need, I can put my fist through a wall, which is what may be modeled for them. So that's yeah. what they're going to do when they have an unmet need. It's like, oh, this yeah, is what and and I also think you know, not even modeled for them, right? Just that if if the person supporting them um, didn't in any way. S- Correct is not the word I'm looking for, but if I've punched the wall and that has felt really good to me in that moment, and then I do it again in the future and no one sort of steps in and says, hey, I can see that that you're punching the wall and I, I get that that feels good. Um, also, can I show you these other ways we can kind of have that same feeling release? Um, that may just become the, the regulation that happens, right? Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily even have to be modeled for the child to to end up kind of a- adding to that library of regulation skills. Um, 
and um, recognizing that um, so many of our of our learners come to us with these trauma histories that yeah. are are so large um, that just one experience is enough to shape kind of how they regulate or don't know how to regulate, right? So you may even have the most supportive and caring person co-regulating with you, but that one really heavy experience can impact the way that our brain develops those pathways, right? Right. And 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 what the what's really beautiful about our jobs is that if we can actually get that wonderful relationship with that student, mm. which we know it's all about relationships, um, they're going to trust us. And oftentimes that's when kids will share with you what's going on for them. And yeah. um, whether we know their trauma or not, just being trauma informed and being um, mindful yeah. of how we are with those kids can help them grow and be who they were really intended to be. Um, And they joined our, joined the human race. (laughs) Sure. And I, and I think Mary, that that is a really poignant um, point is that they show up in our classrooms at any given age, right? Regardless of whether we're a kindergarten teacher or a college professor, um, they show up in front of us and the behaviors that we see in front of us are not one-offs. That's not the first time that 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 feeling has, has hit for that child, right? So when, you know, the math or the language arts or the, the science becomes too much or the standing in line or the playing on the playground is, is too much for that child to maintain in a regulated state that likely that there's a history there. Um, you know, cause I, I think I often hear people say like, well, but they haven't even been in school to experience math. How could it be frustrating to them? Right. Like, um, but it's, it's funny that that is, what we see in front of us is often rooted in many years of experience in either learning or not learning um, right. these skills, right? Right, right, absolutely. You, you really hit so the I, nail on the head. I go back to your your learner you talked about, you know, with the deck of cards, and it makes mm-hmm. me kind of question, you know, where did he develop that that skill from, and how can we as educators then help kids to develop those skills if they're not showing us that they have them? Well, and what, what I what I gleaned from that whole situation was, oh, I see that he's co-regulating. He went back to work. I got what I wanted. Now when he's calm, because he wasn't calm when he walked over there, he got calm by, co- by mm-hmm. you know, getting those cards in order. Now that he's calm, I can go over and say, hey, buddy, I noticed that you went over and you were looking at your cards. Were you feeling some frustration or was there something mm-hmm. going on? Because now he's in that calm prefrontal court access place. And he said, yes, I was having trouble with my math. That's exactly what he told me. I said, oh, what can I help you with? And now- Really naming what you observed for him. Yes. And now I go, okay. And when I see him going back there now, I know something's frustrating for him. I can let him work it out. And now I can start um, gently approaching and starting to see maybe some signs of frustration and get to him before he has to go check and Mm. do that. Oh, really using that experience to learn forward and to to catch it kind of the next time and and be able to help prompt kind of what you're noticing for him to be able to access that in a different situation. Yeah. And that he can now build a skill. Oh, when I need help, I raise my hand. I don't have to feel frustration and go over here. I can raise, I'm teaching him that skill because it's not his will that's causing the behavior at all. It's his, he doesn't have the skills to bring it down. Yeah. So Mary, I'm just wondering, you know, I think it's sometimes I find that it's really easy to kind of understand 
the cause and effect of behavior. When we're talking about a learner where you put a reading task in front of them and you can see the frustration kind of set in and then, you know, you can see the behavior happen as a result and going over and coaching them through and co-regulating with them um, is a little easier, right? Because we can kind of see what happened. Um, But I'm thinking about all those learners that man, they just, they kind of just come in hot. You know, you see them down the hallway or, or recess happened or, um, and you don't really know what the cause was, but you're still in that position of having a kid in front of you who you can see through their behavior just, just truly is not kind of in that, um, you know, for the zones of regulation folks out there in like a green or a blue zone, that's kind of cool and calm. We're starting to see that bubbling and that dysregulation in our, in our learners, you know, talk about co-regulation in that sense, right? I think think it can be easy for a lot of our listeners to go, oh, yes, the math caused dysregulation. Let's solve that problem, co-regulate, come up with a solution. What if it's not quite as obvious? That's a great question, Um, Alexis. I'm reminded of a story. (laughs) I I tell stories. I'm a storyteller. Um, When I was teaching in second grade, and I was the teacher that stood outside the classroom and greeted, which I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm greeting students as they come in, and and I can see halfway down the hall, one of my students is pretty worked Mm -hmm. up. And I can see her coming down the hall, and she's storming, and she's got the, all the indicators are there. And... um, she gets probably about a foot from me and all of a sudden all that anger turns to tears and she just starts bursts into tears and starts crying and kind of falls into me. Now I can see she's dysregulated. I'm reminding myself to stay regulated. And now students who are walking past her are starting to get dysregulated because they mm. see that she's dysregulated. Oh, that's so, effect, sure. Yeah. And so I um, asked her to step, you know, here, just step over here and just encourage, oh, you know, encourage the other kids to come on side. She, you know, we're, I'm, I've got, I'm going to take care of her. It's okay. Head on in. And they would head on in and they, and some of them would still stick their head out. Are you okay? Are you okay? And it was like, Aww. it's okay. Let's give her a few minutes. And so come to find out because she was willing to share the story with me. Um, it was that she got home the day before and her dog um, was given to her grandpa who left to go back to Arizona. So she didn't get to say goodbye to her, her dog, who was her best friend. And so um, we talked it through and I I definitely sympathized. And what, what ended up happening was this really beautiful thing where I knew the class was concerned about her. So I said, you know, let's call it a class meeting. And are Mm. you comfortable telling the class what's going on today? So they understand why you're feeling this way. Or would you like me to giving her that agency in that moment? And she said, I'd really like you to share it. And I said, okay, well, I got about three words out and she took over and she told the whole story. (laughs) And so what I wanted to do is make sure that my, my students were able to empathize. So I asked, has anybody ever had the same experience as this, where something happened and it really upset you, they raised their hands what it worked out into was, okay, students today, when you finish at your centers, if you'd like to write a letter to, I'm going to use a fake name, Susie, um, when you finish with your work and and explain what you're thinking is about this, please take the time to do that. Then I gave her the agency to write a goodbye letter to her dog and I'd make sure her mom got it. And this little girl went from storming down the hall, crying into my arms to skipping back to her seat to sit down and get work done. Yeah. So the difference between if I had been dysregulated and not able to help her kind of bring down what was going on, if we hadn't tried to problem solve, we probably would have lost a good hour at least of learning that day. But sure. we didn't as a result. 
So that's key. I think that that brings forward such an important piece here, which is um, a, you know, meeting behavior with empathy, right? Mm -hmm. That no one, no one wants to feel off, right? Very, that's not a place that we often want to exist or feels good to exist. So, you know, meeting, meeting behavior with empathy first. Um, And then the second piece that I, I hear there that I think is really important is that there's learning to be done around emotions as well. Right. And I think so often we think about, you know, I heard you say loss of learning, right? Loss of learning time. And I think that, I think that it's important um, to bring forward that academics are not the only thing that we learn in school. Right. And so what what I'm hearing you talk through is there's so many social skills and and emotional skills that are learned through these interactions and communication skills and collaboration skills and problem solving and, um, you know, that are so crucial to all of the things that we classically think of as academics, right? Because problem solving through that situation that I just heard with Susie and here are the ways that I can handle these emotions also creates the ability to find multiple pathways to solve an academic, you know, a math problem or a writing problem or that kind of thing, or think about science and experimental design. And I, I'm wondering if um, we as educators can remind ourselves that through teaching these social emotional skills and building up the skills around social emotional problem solving and interactions and um, community, that we actually bolster our kids in a slightly different way that leads to academic outcomes that are that are much higher. Agreed, 100%. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, they can't, a, a student who has those social emotional skills is so able, well, able to access their, their capabilities to learn. And I've always said to me, if you don't have this really strong social emotional base in your classroom, I don't think you can be trauma informed. Because you have to have that. I, you you can't say you're trauma-informed unless you have that social-emotional base. Because yeah. you can have social-emotional classroom and not be trauma-informed. But I don't yeah. think the opposite is true. So oh, it's, you're so, so right. true. Yeah. So true. You know, and I think as we kind of pull this um, to a close, I think that it maybe what's important for our learners to kind of figure out how to keep present, which I think is really hard day to day in the classroom, right? It's so hard when we're confronted with these multiple learners and multiple behaviors and different severities of behavior is that um, the brain is, is really, really pliable. And just, there's so much re relearning, right? There's so many new pathways that can be carved out, you know, every that comes to my mind every time I talk about this is um, sledding. And I'm an East Coaster. So uh, sledding was like, just part of our day to day, we come home from school and get out the sled and, and make a new path in the snow, right. And, yeah. and the next day, when you came back, you could put the sled in the path that existed, and, and it was slick and smooth and fast, or you could carve out a new one. And I think often about our, our learners brains in that way, right? Absolutely. That is a beautiful way to, to explain that. That is exactly it. You just carve out, it may be, it may be a little rough at first as you're carving out that new one, but eventually it's going to get all smooth, right? Yeah. 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 We just got to keep on going down that path, right? We just, we got to, we got to keep yeah. on, keep on presenting it. And, um, you know, Mary, the, the folks in your service district are so lucky to have you. And, uh, and certainly as a colleague that, 
that benefits from from your knowledge within our trauma VLCs. I am always going to to point our OEA folks uh, that are listening back to some of those learning opportunities that they have with us to dig in more. Um, I think we could probably talk all day about co-regulation and and the related. Um, supports, but where would you like to point our listeners, you know, if they wanted to learn more about co-regulation, uh, neuropathways, neuroplasticity, kind of all of the the many, many rabbit holes that folks could go through um, in these ways, where, where would you point them? Where would you send our listeners to kind of learn more? Oh, thank you for asking. And I think I'm I'm going to back up even to say, I, I even have books on my desk that um, <laughs> I'm like, I want to maybe mention this to back up to that so, social emotional um, yeah. piece. I, I highly recommend Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. Um, he's yeah. part of the, um, yeah, the Castle Group. He was part of that. And uh, I think that book is, is really well, well written. One of the books that I um, actually ended up doing a presentation on that I feel really um, strongly about quick read short is called teacher's guide to trauma and it is phenomenal it's um 20 things kids with trauma wish their teachers knew and it's um oh, interesting it, yeah it's written by melissa saden and um nathan Le- levies I, I should say that i believe nathan is her who she adopted and they wrote it together and oh, he had so some trauma yeah and so i or, no it was theo it's her son he he contributed Theo Satan, but um, Nathan Levy's is also, I believe, a psychiatrist or psychologist um, in the okay. field. I think that's a really, I mean, it's super easy and it's written so well. And so I, I think I read it in a day because it's just oh short. Such a great um, read. Yeah. I'm actually leading a, um, this is a great book for co-regulation. I'm reading, I'm leading a book group right now for OEA called What Happened to You? This is Dr. Mm. Perry and Oprah's book, and it talks a mm-hmm. lot about co-regulation in there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I could, the list could go on and on, but I think that's a good start. So we'll link uh, those books in the show notes for sure. And uh, you heard Mary reference the book um, study that's occurring right now. By the time this podcast comes out, I'm sure we'll have another um, group of book studies and uh, virtual learning communities out and going. So please make sure that you're checking in on those. Um, and as always, um, I will remind you that we cannot be of help and support to others unless we are first of help and support to ourselves. So uh, please make time to take care of yourself, to rest, to relax, to recoup, to re-energize, um, to do something that brings you joy. And I thank you, Mary, for joining us today and talking about co-regulation. And I hope that our um, listeners know you can always find Mary on all things OEA. So uh, head on over there to our events and, uh, and learn more from this amazing powerhouse working in our area. Thanks so much, Mary, for joining us. Thank you, Alexis. And we see you teachers out there. We know you're working hard. Keep up the good work. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. All right, everyone have a good day. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit our webpage at grow.oregoned.org.